We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. All right. Well, it is debate time. And no, it is not another lame, boring GOP debate that I know all of you, including my guests, have kind of been sleeping through. This is a muchly anticipated debate between a blue state and a red state. So Governor uh, Gavin Newsom out of California and Governor Ron DeSantis will be debating tonight. And this is going to be a clash, I think, of worldviews and kind of ideology of politics. And so joining me to discuss are two of my very good friends whose ideologies, I think, also clash, uh, which is Josh Hammer, who is an editor at Newsweek and host of The Josh Hammer Show, which is also at Newsweek, and Robin Byro, who is a military veteran and a true blue Democrat and political commentator, former Obama staffer. So I really appreciate you both joining me today. So let's start with kind of the worldview that each of you expect from these candidates, what would you like to see from the Republican side and from the Democrat side, um, just for those who are watching to kind of understand where each of your sides are coming from? So Robin, as um, I think the one who's outnumbered in this situation, we'll start (laughs) with you. Fair enough. Uh, You know, I've been following Gavin Newsom's career for it seems like decades now. Um, and what I expect for him to say is something about healthcare, because it's recently come out that uh, if he were to be nominated, um, former President Trump would seek to uh, repeal the ACA, uh, Obamacare, if you will. So I expect to hear from Gavin Newsom how he would uh, codify that and, and uh and protect it. Uh, that's going to be of paramount importance. Uh, I expect to hear something. He's from California. Look, he's he's from California. And I always like to make jokes about my Democratic friends from California because their brand of politics clashes with my brand of politics being a Democrat in Georgia. <laughs> um, it, you know, they're kind of more the extreme left. So I expect here uh, how he wants to probably bring back Roe v. Wade or something and codify a row. Um, I just don't know how he's going to do that. I think that it's now going to be a state's rights issue for probably the rest of my lifetime going into my children's lifetimes. Um, uh, but I expect to hear something from him about that because that's what the residents of his state will want to hear. Uh, and progressives to the far left will also want to hear something about women's reproductive care, Jenna. So do you think, um, real quickly, Robin, and then we'll get to Josh, do you think that Gavin Newsom uh, will actually resonate with most of the Democrat base? I mean, he's kind of being held up as a standard of the the true blue Democrats, but would you agree with that? Or are you concerned that he's a little too far to the left? No, I, I have my my concerns that he's too far to the left. And look, I'm biased. He's, it, I just, I always have a bias against Democrats 
all Democrats really from California, um, because they kind of live in their fancy little blue bubble and they don't really get what's going on within the rest of the country, the, the, the worldview really within the rest of the country, if you will. Um, and I, you know, he did a good job, I thought, as as mayor of, of San Francisco. But once he got the governorship, man, I just can't get on board with a lot of what he's done. Um, so I have my my concerns. Um, but look, I'm glad, actually, that he's debating Ron DeSantis because Trump would not. And I think we need uh, a more frisky debate, if you will, uh, because I, I've been disappointed that Trump won't take the debate stage. So I'm glad to see some actual good sparring partners. <laughs> All right. So, Josh, let's get to you. So uh, Governor DeSantis, I think, has um, has done well in the GOP debates. But I agree with Robin. It's it's kind of really hasn't gotten a lot of uh, movement in terms of at least the polls for Governor DeSantis. How important is it for him to make a showing of the conservative worldview of civil government and his accomplishments in Florida in this debate. What do you expect? Sure. So I think Ron DeSantis needs momentum. I mean, that's kind of stating the obvious. That's saying the quiet part out loud. But he obviously needs something in the way of headlines. He needs something in the way of clicks. He needs something in the way of attention. You know, we're getting pretty close to the Iowa caucuses, Jenna. We're, you know, a month and a half away, essentially. And we've had the endorsements now from both Governor Reynolds and, and Bob Vanderplatz. And, and, you know, the polls that I've seen have budged a little bit, but they haven't moved in kind of a, a notable direction. So he really just needs some sort of momentum right now. And, you know, Gavin Newsom is a potentially, you know, very, very ample foe insofar as it could be a very convenient launching the platform to kind of generate momentum. So DeSantis and Newsom have been clashing for years now. They've taken a lot of shots at each other. Um, I'm biased, but I think Newsom has, has kind of instigated a lot of those fights. But I'm really happy that they're doing this. And it, it really is kind of this clash of worldviews that you were talking about earlier. But, you know, one thing that I've heard some folks in the DeSantis orbit say, and I would agree with this, although, again, I'm biased because I'm a Floridian and, and I love my state of Florida. But I, I think that the, the debate between Florida and California as states has largely been settled. I mean, I mean, we can kind of you cannot overstate the importance of the following statistic, which is that U-Hauls, literal U-Hauls in California last year ran out because people were moving out of the state so quickly. In fact, California actually lost a congressional seat, it lost population in the decennial every 10-year census for the very first time since California became a state. As far as kind of the concrete issues that I would anticipate DeSantis kind of talking about, trying to point out this divide, I would think it would be less on the woke culture war issues and more on just bread and butter quality of life issues. So, you know, in my personal, you know, last two to three trips to California, I was in the Bay Area a year and a half ago. I was at a wedding in, in LA earlier this year. Basic quality of life issues in, in the cities of, of California, you get there and they're immediately obvious. I mean, the homeless situation in these cities mm -hmm. is, is abominable. There are needles strewn everywhere across the sidewalks. Crime is out of control. So I would expect a lot of talk about that, a lot of talk about kind of average gasoline prices when it comes to California versus Florida, which is a huge delta, is a huge gap. California, I think, is the highest gas prices in the country. So just kind of basic quality of life issues is what I'm anticipating. I, I think that I, I, I think that my interlocutor is right that Gavin's probably going to try to go for the culture war red meat, go for some abortion, go for some transgender thing. But I think DeSantis is probably going to try and keep it on relatively quality of life issue terrain. 
Yeah. So how important do you think this is overall, um, the stakes here? Uh, do, do each of you think this is in terms of uh, Ron DeSantis is obviously running for president. I think he has a really big a vested interest in performing well and reaching some people who may not uh, really know what he's all about. He doesn't certainly doesn't have the same level of name recognition as Donald Trump. But what about Gavin Newsom? A lot of people, myself included, think he's kind of running a shadow campaign to uh, yeah. kind of be waiting in the wings if something uh, happens with Joe Biden and he will be right there ready to take the reins of uh, the Democrat nomination. So is this really important for him to make a good showing? Or why would Gavin Newsom really agree to something like this uh, when it's not exactly equal terrain, Robin? Because he's positioning himself. We already know his political aspirations. He wants to be president. Uh, and look, it's it's a safe bet. Joe Biden is, what, 80 years old? Uh, if something does happen to Joe Biden, he would be, we would be frantically looking for a new nominee. And he's right there, ready to step in, in and fill those shoes. This debate, though, Jenna, is super important for both, uh, well, mainly for Ron DeSantis, because he's lost some, some big donors. Um, and having managed a presidential campaign before Obama's campaign, uh, it takes a huge amount of money. And if he can really bring a good showing against someone like Gavin Newsom, uh, then the, the money is going to pour into Ron DeSantis' campaign. Uh, and that's really needed right now at a time like this before the Iowa caucus. And Josh, your your response, how important is this uh, really, I think, to, uh, to Ron DeSantis versus uh, Gavin Newsom? Yeah, I think it's important for both of them. I think it's more immediately important for Ron DeSantis for the reasons that I was just discussing, which is the fact that he clearly needs some sort of momentum boost right now. You know, it's worth emphasizing, Jenna, as a Floridian, it's not just the fact that DeSantis is, is trailing Trump pretty heavily in the polls, but you know, he's had multiple transformative, dynamic legislative sessions in a row where he was the king. He's been the king, the undisputed king of Tallahassee. For the past at least two legislative sessions, arguably going back even further, three or four sessions now, you know, he's going to get back to Tallahassee for the start of this session in early 2024, somewhat wounded, admittedly somewhat wounded by what has happened on the national stage there. So he just needs to kind of reassure, obviously, the national voters, but including those of us here in Florida. Frankly, I, I think it's not just kind of the U.S. congressman who will be watching this, but a lot of Florida legislators will be watching that. You know, is he going to be able to kind of wield his kind of Teddy Roosevelt style stick and kind of get in there and kind of, you know, you gin up uh, the, the caucus to get legislation passed, the X's and O's of governance here in Florida? But it's obviously huge for for Gavin Newsom as well. No doubt about that. I, I agree with you, Jenna. He definitely is running a shadow campaign of sorts. I continue to be, to be of, of the opinion that Joe Biden's going to be the nominee um, um, unless yeah. he like, actually drops dead or something like that. Um, I, I know a lot of people think that the Democrats will pull the so-called switcheroo. I don't see that happening for numerous reasons, um, but at, at a bare minimum, he clearly wants to be the nominee in 2028. So it's very important for him as well. And it, and it, and it looks good for him to go up against someone officially running for president, whereas he is not. So it's almost kind of a, a stature elevation move for him as well. Yeah, for sure. And and what do you think, Robin, on on that note as well um, of the the DNC rules that say that they basically could uh, just install someone of their choosing even after the convention? And a lot of people are of the opinion that something will happen to Joe Biden and he'll be forced to either resign or you know possibly health reasons, any kinds of things. Um, is that something that you're hearing? And 
Uh, what's your position now? I know that you supported Joe Biden, certainly in 2020, um, but you haven't been really that happy with how he's performed. Right. Yeah, Is that that's, something that's that fair. Democrats want to see? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and look, Jamie Harrison has been a friend of mine for decades, uh, a chair chairman of the DNC. Um, and I think he's doing a, a fair enough job. But I am disappointed, frankly, that 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 we are not having um, an open primary here. I'm disappointed that they've basically announced that it's that Joe Biden is our guy. There won't be any debates. There won't be a primary. Uh, this is what you've got. I think competition is something that I love about America. And, you know, I think Joe Biden would do well to earn uh, his his place there as as uh, as the nominee, um, rather than just be installed there uh, from the DNC. I think that's bad. That's in bad form. And we should have learned that lesson from Debbie Wasserman Schultz and all of that mess that went on back then with the DNC and some of the corruption uh, that we saw with the DNC uh, when they wanted to just basically install Hillary and 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 in favor of some of the others. Um, so, you know, we've gotten in trouble and I think that it's in bad taste right now, again, in bad form. Um, but I know why they're doing it. Uh, I just can't, I can't get behind it. I think Joe Biden should have earned his place. And really well said, and I applaud you for saying that. And I think a lot of listeners um, from the Republican side are saying, wow, as a Democrat, that is amazing that you're being willing to say that. And we should have, you know, the open competition. And then look at how they're treating the GOP with um, saying that, you know, Ron DeSantis is so disloyal to Donald Trump and, you know, all of these things. And I think that we're kind of seeing that in terms of how the Trump campaign is organizing itself. And uh, Josh, you know, I've been very um, disappointed and and I think uh, you have as well in terms of how this this question of loyalty has been to the Trump campaign. Uh, do you think that Donald Trump's name is going to come up from Ron DeSantis in the this debate, or is it going to be more exclusively focused on the clash of issues, Republican versus Democrat, or does Ron DeSantis have an opportunity here to call out Donald Trump? Uh, well, first of all, Robin, I have to say I'm a little surprised that you don't consider Dean Phillips to be a viable primary challenger to, to Joe. But no, I, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I think no, I think I, I, I think we all know that that's not a serious challenge. I'm, I'm totally just joking. Yeah. Um. Yeah. When it comes to the DeSantis uh, Newsom debate, look, I, I I think that Gavin Newsom will probably try to troll Ron DeSantis into going after Trump as somewhat of a red herring away from what they're supposed to be talking about. So so they're there in theory. To talk about this, you know, this grand blue state versus red state divide, the California model versus the Florida model, you know, two younger leaders than Trump versus Biden. So, I mean, so maybe that's the context, Jenna, that it could actually come up in is if you're trying to paint DeSantis and Gavin as kind of the younger, you know, next generation leaders, whereas Biden and Trump are, are, are either in their 80s or soon to be in their 80s. That might be kind of a natural context for DeSantis to kind of take a swing at Trump. Maybe he'll have some line about Trump, you know, being limited to four years, being limited to one term because of how he previously served there. But I certainly don't think that that's going to be a focus of the debate. Um, I, I have no reason for thinking that. And, you know, uh, frankly, it's it's kind of just the wrong platform, I think, in many ways for DeSantis to start swinging at Trump. I, I mean, there's not there's nothing wrong at, at this point. You know, looking at the polls, there's nothing wrong with, with taking shots at Donald Trump. I mean, either you're in this to win it or not. I'm just not sure that this particular venue is the, is the proper place for that. 
Yeah, I would agree. And we'll take a break here, uh, but we're, I'm talking with two of my very good friends, Josh Hammer, who is a senior editor at Newsweek and the host of the Josh Hammer Show on Newsweek, as well as Terrestrial Radio Now up in uh, Seattle. And then also Robin Biro, who is a true blue Democrat, former Obama staffer and former military veteran. And we thank you for your service, uh, Robin. But this is going to be so interesting. It all starts uh, tonight on Fox News. And I want to get your thoughts on some of the broader worldview issues, but also because it's on Fox, Sean Hannity, when we come back right after this. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health share ministry, serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend, too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with anytime enrollment. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. All right, welcome back. And we are previewing the clash between blue and red tomorrow night with the debate between Governor DeSantis and Governor Newsom with my good friends Josh Hammer and Robin Byro. And so I want to get your thoughts on Sean Hannity moderating because it kind of seems like that's a little bit of an advantageous field for Governor DeSantis. But we also saw the interview um, a couple of months ago with Governor Newsom and Sean Hannity. And I actually thought Governor Newsom did very well and kind of owned that debate. So he may not feel like uh, Sean Hannity is necessarily um, a moderator that he can't deal with. And if he is going on Fox into hostile territory, does well, that that may serve him. So, Josh, let's start with you. Uh, What do you think of Sean Hannity being the moderator? Is he going to be fair? Yeah, I think he'll be fair. I mean, Sean Hannity is obviously a card carrying conservative. No one no one doubts where where he is. You know, I, he hasn't kind of endorsed a candidate, Jenna, right? But if I had to guess where Sean is leaning, I certainly think that he probably would would come back to being a, a Trump supporter. Um, I have no reason for thinking that. It's not like he's slighted Ron DeSantis, but just kind of my sense of the Fox News media landscape right now. I think that Laura Ingram has probably given DeSantis overall more more airtime, maybe, maybe even Jesse Waters. So I, I think that Hannity is probably one of the Trumpier of the Fox News primetime guests. But more to your point, you know, Gavin Newsom has had, you know, numerous long sustained interviews with Sean Hannity. I mean, it was after that debate at, at the Reagan Library in California, where I was watching the Fox News coverage, where Gavin Newsom sat down again with Hannity. They had another exchange that night, which I thought was very odd, by the way. I'm not sure, you know, why the why, why a leading governor of the op, of the opposition party ought to be given that platform the night of a, of a GOP debate. I thought that was a very Bizarre choice, um, but that's really neither here nor there, I guess. But the point is that Newsom and Hannity, for whatever reason, seem to have 
some sort of rapport, you know, dare I even say perhaps even a bit of mutual respect for one another. Um, so I'm actually not particularly concerned about that. Hmm. And Robin, what do you think of Sean Hannity as a moderator? You know, um, I'm a Fox News veteran. I've, you and I, Jenna, were sparring partners on Fox. Uh, I think I've done over a thousand interviews uh, on, on Fox. And if I can hold my own against Sean Hannity, I have zero doubt in my mind that Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom can as well. Uh, I think Sean Hannity is a perfectly fine choice. Um, yes, we know where his politics stand, but I don't have an issue with that. Uh, it's about viewership. And frankly, Fox needs the numbers. They need Hannity to host this because their viewership, their viewership numbers have been down with, with challenges from Newsmax and some of the other outlets. So I think actually it's going to make for better television. I, for one, will be watching. Yeah. And I think a lot um, more people are going to be tuning in to some of these debates like they do the general election debates. I mean, they tuned in to Trump versus Hillary and Trump versus Biden way more than uh, some of the primary debates where it seems like it's it's almost the same iteration, just said in a different way. And some of the more personal shots and in, in some of the primary debates that I don't necessarily find really enlightening um, or informative <laughs> as a voter necessarily. Um, and if we're seeing a lot of people that are kind of tuned out right now, especially heading into the holiday. So hopefully we will see uh, more of a viewership. But in terms of the overall worldview perspective, I think this country is so divided. We are so siloed into red and blue. What do you anticipate, Josh, um, with the questions in terms of trying to get beyond just uh, the issues, but really showing what true conservatism versus a true liberalism and true uh, leftism, frankly, I mean, I would say progressive leftism, extremism mm -hmm. from uh, Governor Newsom is all about. And are we going to see any sort of civics kind of education in terms of um, how the parties approach these issues? Well, that would be, I mean, that'd be great. I'm, I'm all in favor of civics education. I mean, I think one of the reasons that we're in this quandary as a country in the first place is that we have just an appalling state of civics. You know, one of my first Fox News hits while we're talking about Fox, you know, when I first started getting into this line of work a number of years ago was on this very issue. And, and I think it was the percentage of Americans polled who could name a single U.S. Supreme Court justice was like a third or something like that. I mean, it, it was just appallingly low. So I, I, I am all for you know, an American civics renewal. I absolutely love that. I don't particularly care what party it comes from. I think that's a great discussion to have in the first place. The conversation that I personally, as kind of a, a junkie, a nerd of political philosophy, political theory, American politics, the conversation that I personally, Jenna, would love to see happen in this debate is between two competing conceptions of freedom. So you're going to hear Gavin Newsom talk a lot about freedom, when it comes to, you know, the so-called right to abort an unborn child, when it comes to the so-called right, you know, to to uh, chemically castrate someone and, and, and change their gender on a birth certificate, things like that. And then you're going to hear kind of a different conception of freedom, which is the Florida model of freedom, which is essentially the freedom from wokeism, progressivism, the forces of this kind of illiberal you know, what Wesley Yang, the writer, referred to as the successor ideology, which whether it happens in the political arena, in the corporate arena or elsewhere is an ideology that must be combated. And as DeSantis has shown, sometimes perhaps even by putting a bit of a thumb on the scale, that's the whole fight with Walt Disney. That's a new College of Florida model and things like that. So I would really like to see this grand kind of philosophical clash of different conceptions of freedom. And I think that DeSantis would be in good standing to prevail in that fight if it does happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. Robin, what do you think in terms of uh, this clash of ideology and um, being someone who is a Democrat that's not as far left and progressive as uh, the, and, and I use that, of course, in air quotes. Oh, no, I, I appreciate that, Jenna. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just just to make sure we're on friendly territory here. Um, what do you expect from the worldview clash and what what would be, in your view, a proper articulation of where your party should be. Can Gavin Newsom actually do that? And if he does articulate his own viewpoint, um, how damaging is that overall potentially to the Democrat Party? Well, what we're not going to get is what I wish we would have and what we need, which is somebody to try and bring us together. We were promised that Joe Biden would be that unifying president to try and unite the left and right. Uh, we saw the comments from Lindsey Graham saying, you know, before the before he was a candidate, that if you don't like Joe Biden, you're just nuts um, because he's, he supposedly was such an amicable person uh, and that kind of a kumbaya politician. Um, but we're, we're not, I think we're too divided as a nation. I don't think we're going to get that. I think what we will see is more division, frankly. We will see um, Gavin Newsom pointing out more differences, why you need to vote for leftist candidates. Uh, and Ron DeSantis saying, this is what we've done in Florida. This is what's working in Florida. And you need to be afraid of what's happening on the left. Um and that that concerns me, but they it's what they will both do. It is where the country is right now. We just had Thanksgiving. These conversations were just had all across uh, dining room tables all across the country. Um, and we're still divided. And I hate it. Uh, as someone who fought in the military, I wish we could somehow unify um, like Frankly, like you and I and the and Josh, frankly, on this panel, have these meaningful conversations, not just the gotchas, um, but I hope that they will have meaningful, substantive debate and not just gotchas, Jenna. But I don't have a lot of high hopes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think that that's fair. I mean, the the type of Lincoln Douglas actual debates that are you know four hours and the the clashes of genuine um, political ideology. I think those days unfortunately are past, just because the medium doesn't really work. I mean, we all know that they're going to be speaking in talking points so that we can clip this, so that you know on Friday when when I analyze this on my radio show, then you know I can play some of those clips. And so you know they're geared toward that type of medium, uh, but hopefully they will address some of the issues. But let's talk about a couple of things that have really been a clash um, between Republicans and Democrats, and especially heading into the presidential election year. Um, certainly abortion has been a huge topic, and it is pretty much a Republican pro-life and Democrat pro-choice is kind of the silo of things. Uh, when that topic comes up, how important is it? Um, for each of of these two debaters um, to appear, I think, not only reasonable, but also moral in terms of their position. And, um, and this issue being such a divisive one between all stripes of people and, and even within the parties, we can say Republicans are pro-life and Democrats are pro-choice, but even within those parties, I think there still is a lot of conflict. So, uh, Robin, where... Does uh, Gavin Newsom have to be to not look like he is totally an extremist on this issue? So Gavin Newsom has to frame this as a women's health care issue, uh, not talk about it as abortion, talk about it as women's health care. He will. He's savvy enough to do that. Um, and he's got to correct some of the false narratives because I've heard some of the false narratives going on that we want to abort babies after they're born. So essentially murder 
infant children. Um, so he's got to correct some of those false narratives. Uh, it's got to be, fran- like I said, he's just got to discuss it as a women's health care issue uh, and, uh, you know, pull it pull it back into perspective and talk about what's happening a- across the country with with young women that are having to go across state lines, that are having to to have babies that maybe they can't afford them, maybe they were products of, of rape or incest, things like that. Talk about some of the, the more nuanced issues uh, about abortion, but he would be stupid to not frame it as a women's health care issue, Jenna. And we saw how uh, Democrats effectively did that in um, the Kentucky gubernatorial race, for example, and some of uh, those attack ads against Daniel Cameron that uh, were abortion related from uh, the current incumbent governor, Andy Bashir, and and how that uh, really was effective. And so, Josh, um, I, I think that Gavin Newsom would probably attack Governor DeSantis for signing that six week um, heartbeat bill. And so uh, what does Governor DeSantis need to do in terms of um, talking about pro-life and why it is important morally beyond some of um, the rhetoric we've heard? I know he's given his story about, you know, seeing um, his own um, child's ultrasound. All of that is very powerful. But in terms of connecting with some Democrats who may be watching who are currently pro-choice. Look, Ron DeSantis signed the six-week abortion law, which I personally, as a Floridian, supported um, as a pro-life activist for a number of years. I don't think it actually goes even far enough, but I but I do think that it that it was an, a a good law. And if Gavin Newsom objects, and he probably will, if he if he starts to kind of fight on this terrain, at this point, Jen, to kind of tie this question into your earlier question about Trump. That's probably when DeSantis needs to go fully on offense, because recall that Donald Trump has also attacked the six week abortion ban in both Florida and Iowa. He had that interview with Kristen Welker on NBC News maybe a month and a half, two months ago, where he said that it was, quote, terrible that Iowa and Florida signed these pieces of legislation into law that would protect unborn children at the point to which they can feel fetal pain in the womb. What I personally would love to see Ron DeSantis do is to just give an impassioned, you know, 90 to 120 second answer if this comes up in conversation, which one makes the forthright, straightforward case for the unborn child's right to live, especially at a point at which it can feel pain, at which point embryology says X, Y, Z things about the unborn child sucking on the thumb about brain waves. It would be nice if Ron DeSantis, who is clearly one of the shining stars in the Republican Party, whether he wins the presidential nomination or not, it would be really inspiring, I think, to pro-lifers who are frankly demoralized across the country in the aftermath of results like the Ohio referendum earlier this month. Pro-lifers have been beat at the ballot box many times over the past year, it would be really, really nice if one of the Republican Party's pro-life leaders like Ron, like Ron DeSantis could make that forthright case just to kind of, you know, get the voters feeling confident again, at least a little bit. And then on the other hand, simultaneously while doing that, Jenna, and more to your point, he has to talk about the, how how pro-lifers are going to go incremental on a state-by-state basis. You know, six weeks might have been, in his judgment, what was best for Florida. That doesn't mean that it's best for New York, California, Massachusetts. And on the other hand, simultaneously talk about how there are, you know, you know, crisis pregnancy centers, how there are activists all across the country and many of these even pro-life jurisdictions who are ready, willing and indeed eager to assist women in these times of need. 
Yeah, well said. And and I think that he does have to make that case. Uh, let's turn to the economy as well. I mean, this is certainly a clash between uh, California and Florida. And uh, Gavin Newsom, I, I don't know what he can possibly say in terms of, uh, of ca- California's current state of the economy. So many people that are leaving and moving specifically to Florida. How does he make that case, Robin, for um, the economy or for his leadership or an overall Democrat platform when Joe Biden's economy is also really, really terrible. And every American is feeling that. The only thing that Gavin Newsom can do effectively is tell the truth that California is the world's fourth largest economy by itself, the state of the state of California. And that's about where it ends. Uh, because look, you've got to look at, at property taxes. People can't afford to live in California right now. He's going to have some really difficult uh time tomorrow night defending some of what's happening. The gas tax there is outrageous. I know I, for one, could not afford to live in California, couldn't afford to be a single parent in California. So he's going to have to head that off at the pass and have to talk about California as a whole, how well they're doing financially. But the fact is, as a as a moderate Democrat, that's off the back of the taxpayers. So he's going to have a tough, very tough time to have Jenna. Yeah. And uh, Josh, I think that Ron DeSantis clearly has the upper hand here in terms of anything about the economy. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, You you know, we mentioned the price of gas earlier. I mean, the numbers don't lie. I mean, you know, Florida's economy has been soaring. Look at all the businesses that have been relocating to South Florida, Miami, even Tampa over the past couple of years. There are just the number of tech firms. I mean, DeSantis could probably kind of, you know, just, you know, cite some names, right? I mean, Ken Griffin, the hedge fund man, they moved to Miami from Chicago. I think it was at the end of last year, earlier this year. Can't quite remember exactly when that was. But there's so many examples of this trend there. You know, Florida's economy has has been booming. The number of people moving in has has been astonishing. It's I think it's roughly twice as many as the next closest state for kind of net in-migration patterns since COVID started. I, I think Texas was the second most. I'm not quite sure, but it's like approximately twice as high. So Florida has just been utterly booming. There's just really no way around that whatsoever. So DeSantis should just talk about what he did to help generate that atmosphere to get there. And that could possibly also get him back into his COVID policies. Admittedly, Americans not thinking a whole lot about COVID anymore, but a, a lot of the reason why a lot of these people, businesses, investments, and capital started moving in in the first place is because they could work, because businesses could operate here at, at, during COVID at a time when many of these blue jurisdictions were you know, engaging in these fairly harsh and draconian regulations. Yeah, I think the economy is going to be a really big one. And what about the state of Israel? And uh, is that going to come up? And if so, um, I think Ron DeSantis has had a very good answer on that, especially at the last uh, family leader forum. And Gavin Newsom um, really hasn't addressed that, nor has he uh, particularly needed to. Uh, Josh, do you think that that's going to come up? And if so, uh, what is the strongest position for Governor DeSantis? I mean, I, I could see it coming up or not. It, it, it's not necessarily directly in the wheelhouse of this kind of red state, blue state divide, although it is the issue that is you know, dominating the headlines and rightfully so. I mean, it's obviously just an absolutely horrific tragedy that happened and the hostages. It's just, it's just an unspeakable mess over there. So I'm not sure that it will come up. Um, DeSantis, for what it's worth, has probably been the most unvarnished pro-Israel governor 
in all of America for the past, you know, you know, 10, 20 years. I mean, go back as far as you want to I me. Mean, I'm sure there are others who would like to claim that mantle, but it's not worth kind of playing that game. But DeSantis has been above and beyond supportive. You know, he had his so-called Air DeSantis flights earlier to take Americans who were there out of Israel after the Hamas tragedy. He shipped so many goods. I think it was like multiple planes worth of cargo shipments to Israel there. So if it comes up, he, he's on very good terrain. Um, Gavin Newsom himself, I, I don't follow his stance on this particularly closely to be very candid. I don't think he's anti-Israel, but he's, you know, he's definitely, I think, uh, closer to being, you know, more kind of, you know, let's sit down and talk, pro two-state mm-hmm. solution, all that stuff, right? So I, I think it would be fair for Ron DeSantis to kind of come back to Gavin Newsom and ask him about what is clearly the Democratic Party's left flank and how that's deeply problematic. I mean, you know, the stuff we hear from AOC and Tlaib, if the Sands want to try to pin that on Gavin Newsom, that could be a rhetorically sound tactic. Yeah. And and I think it's going to be interesting to see where Hannity goes with this. And if he ends up um, going to more of the foreign policy kind of presidential debate style questions or whether we really keep it in the wheelhouse of the two governors. And so, uh, Robin, what do you think uh, is is Gavin Newsom's uh, response here if we do go to any of the foreign policy questions like Israel? He has to come out very strong on his foreign policy questions if he wants to appear to be a viable possible presidential candidate, uh, either this term or in four years. Um, and I think actually that this will come up because of that. It's it, like, like Josh said, it's dominating the news headlines. Uh, and I think that DeSantis would be foolish to not try to pin, uh, Gavin Newsom on one one way or the other, because what my party is doing, but I, what I see too often, and Josh alluded to this, uh, is let's have a discussion. Let's talk about this. Uh, they're sort of wanting to have their cake and eat it too on this without really saying we need to support Israel. They need to, they need to come out very clearly and say that we need to support Israel. Uh, and I don't think that you're going to get anybody to do that from my side of the party. I think, like I said, that just like Josh alluded to, it's going to be, let's have a discussion. This is a complicated issue. I'm going to bring in experts. I think that is more what you're going to hear, uh, from Gavin Newsom. All right. And just in the last couple of minutes that we have, and I really appreciate your time today, Josh Hammer and Robin Byro, um, overall thoughts on the debate and, and I guess just closing thoughts in terms of a preview of what we can expect tomorrow night, Josh. So I, I, I've, I'm looking forward to this. I have been looking forward to this debate for a while now. I genuinely hope, as both of you have said, that it is substantive. That would be a welcome change from most of these GOP debates. Although in fairness, the last one here in Florida, I actually thought was considerably better than the first two. But I'm hoping for a lot of substance here. I very much would hope for that kind of competing conceptions of freedom, grand philosophical battle. I'm not necessarily getting my hopes up for that. Um, Again, as a big fan of Ron DeSantis, I would personally just love to hear how Gavin Newsom responds to some of the stuff that Robin was saying. I mean, you know, his economic track record, his crime, homelessness, the population outflows, the U-Haul patterns. A lot of this is like pretty indefensible, honestly. I mean, I, I I genuinely just don't know, you know, how he's going to defend some of these economic statistics. So I think there's a lot, a lot of fodder there for Ron DeSantis to try to pin Gavin Newsom down there. And hopefully there will be some sound bites that can, you know, DeSantis can use that as, as a springboard to get up in the polls. And Robin, your thoughts? Uh, look, I think I'm actually really excited about this debate. It's what was needed. Uh, I've watched all of the, the GOP debates, um, and they've been all right, but this is what I was looking for. Uh, and, and frankly, the Democratic Party needs this too. There's been a lot of 
just kind of some wild misinformation out there. And and frankly, he's got to address that. Gavin Newsom has got to address that because Joe Biden just has not been leading the party like he needs to be uh, and, and kind of fighting back against some of some of what I'm hearing. Um, so I need to hear Gavin Newsom be a leader. And, you know, it's kind of like the post-debate analysis because uh, I've always gotten off, really enjoyed that because that's where you see the differences. And this is bringing it right to the forefront. Uh, I'm super excited and I look forward to what, to what they're going to have to say, Jenna. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I hope uh, that we will see more of the clash of worldview and ideology and overall perspectives of leadership, um, not just some of these kind of two-minute responses. We'll see how it goes, but we have 90 minutes of just the two men responding to questions uh, from Sean Hannity. So we'll look forward to that, and I'll look forward to uh, seeing what both of you uh, live tweet. I'm sure you'll be like me at live tweeting <laughs> the course. whole thing. And we'll be uh, going back and forth and all the politicos that watch. But gentlemen, thanks so much, Josh Hammer, Robin Byra, for your analysis and comments. And um, and I appreciate that we can have this type of discussion. I think it needs to occur more between Republicans and Democrats who really genuinely want the best for America, not just best for each individual party or each individual candidate. Um, this is what we need to have more of. So I really appreciate both of you and your time this morning. Thanks. Thank you, Jenna. Thanks so much, Jenna. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Finally, some good news. Because of you, Preborn has rescued over 44,000 babies this year alone. Right now, thousands of mothers are awaiting birth of their precious babies, and thousands upon thousands of babies are taking their first breath. Since its beginnings, Preborn's networks of clinics has rescued over 270,000 babies. That is a miracle. The overturning of Roe versus Wade only made the left more ravenous for the blood of the innocent. So now we need to be more passionate to save babies. Thanks to Preborn, we can do just that. For $28, you can empower a mother to choose life. Once she sees the precious life growing inside of her and hears her baby's heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life. And right now, through your match, your gift is doubled. Please give your most generous gift that will go 100% toward life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And we are previewing the debate tonight between Governor Ron DeSantis out of Florida and Governor Gavin Newsom out of California. And this is set to be a shadow 2024 showdown race between uh, Newsom versus DeSantis. And Politico has said that uh, Gavin Newsom may be running a shadow campaign, but the fight highlights how two young governors have captured the attention of their respective parties. And so I think it's really interesting that Robin Biro, who is um, a good friend, and he is a Democrat, of course, um, but he is a good friend, has, um, has said that Gavin Newsom doesn't really represent the mainstream Democrat who actually want the best for America and is very far to the left. So it's going to be fascinating to me to see, especially because this debate will be on Fox News, moderated by Sean Hannity. It starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time tonight. Uh, Whether Newsom is going to go for more of the moderate audience without alienating, of course, the radicalized leftists of his party, or if he's going to just 
present the Democrat utopia uh, design that he has really uh, implemented in California. And there was a headline this morning from Washington Examiner that Gavin Newsom announces $300 million effort to clean up homelessness. Of course, we saw that he was completely fine with cleaning up San Francisco to welcome the president of China, but then almost immediately it went back to its former uh terrible and tragic state. So, of course, Gavin Newsom doesn't really care about his own uh, citizens and the people who live in the state of California. He just cares about when uh, China comes to visit. So the Democrats are, uh, I think, going to have a really difficult time responding to some of the arguments that uh, Governor DeSantis will hopefully articulate tonight. But the Washington Examiner headline says Governor Gavin Newsom announced millions in grant money to help local and state agencies clean up homeless encampments near California roads. The Democratic governor said nearly $300 million will go to local jurisdictions and the other half will go to the Caltrans, the state's Department of Transportation, to sweep camps on state property such as highways, bike paths, and parks while assisting the homeless in finding other places to live. He said, quote, we've got to move. People are counting on us. He said in a news briefing on Monday, the public has had it. They're fed up. I'm fed up. We're all fed up. Well, maybe everyone is just fed up with his policies. Uh, Has he ever thought of that? I'm pretty fed up with some of uh, the far leftist policies that they have enacted. And we can see a, a vast difference between the management and the worldview aspects of Democrat and blue state governance versus conservative and red state policies. And this really does go back to a worldview. And And I tried to get into that a little bit with my guests. I know that we got into some of uh, the other topics. But what I'm really hoping for tonight and what I hope uh, genuinely that Governor DeSantis will say on behalf of conservatives generally is talking about the difference in how conservatives approach civil government, particularly from a state and local government, a governor level, but then also the federal government as well, and what our founders originally designed in the Constitution. Because we understand... And the Federalist Papers understood, uh, which, of course, were by three of the founders who were lawyers that gave the arguments in that time for the ratification of the U.S. Constitution that came out of the Constitutional Convention, of course, that replaced the Articles of Confederation, that they wanted a stronger federal government, but even stronger state sovereignty. But they wanted a weak enough government and a separation of powers so that government would not become so overbearing that it controlled its citizens and didn't allow for a human flourishing and didn't protect freedom and liberty. Um, And so this whole idea, and I think really the big difference between conservative leadership versus this leftist mentality really boils down to what they believe the purpose of government is. And Democrats, um, generalizing, of course, the, the liberal view would say that government should be bigger and government is here to provide for you more welfare, more tax dollars, and we should tax more in order to, to spend more on programs that then benefit citizens and, in their view, benefit. And so they have a bigger view that government 
we we're here to help. I mean, as as Biden's education secretary totally earlier this week completely botched the Reagan quote, "We're from the government and we're here to help." Um, as he said, where the conservative side that Reagan said was the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, "I'm from the government and I'm here to help," because conservatives understand that government is simply a necessary not evil, but a necessary institution in a sense to bridle evil in society and ensure that there is fair dealing in civil society, there is fundamental fairness, and that individuals don't trample upon each other's liberties, but that the restraints that government put upon citizens are very, very limited, and all they do is to restrain evil but also promote good. It's not to provide for individuals. It's not to be the church in society. Uh, What the left has really, I think, uh, lost in their view of government, when they're talking about more programs, they're talking about humanitarianism, they're talking about uh, providing for citizens, they're talking about all of these things that grow big government. What they're actually doing is trying to make civil government a replacement for how the institution of the church that God has ordained is supposed to function in society. And unfortunately, what a lot of Christians have done, um, especially over the course of the last, I would say, 60 plus or so years, is allow that. And to say, oh, well, the government um, is doing a lot of these things and there's a lot of good government subsidized programs and nonprofits and so forth that are government subsidized, basically government run. They're doing a lot of this sort of uh, humanitarian aid that should come from churches and it shouldn't be government dollars because government is a non-revenue generating institution. And so all they can do is forcibly compel people to give through taxes. Uh, and so that's a that's a compulsory act, not donations, which are the free gift of individuals who want to give. And and so when these nonprofits take government funds They're taking compulsory donations from people's tax dollars, and then they're funding these programs instead of the government staying out of it, and then Christians and the church supporting these nonprofits and these types of humanitarian efforts like, for example, Samaritan's Church or even um, AFA. We don't take any uh, any money from the government at all, but we do. We are fully listener funded and donor funded so that we can continue to advance the truth of the gospel of Christ. But we're not taking money from the government um, so that we can then fulfill whatever the government's purpose thinks it is. And, and imagine if the leftist tax dollars were going to fund some nonprofits that were inherently and specifically Christian. They would totally cry foul. But why is it that the government can fund all of these other things and all of these other woke nonprofits and plans and agendas that I don't want my tax dollars going to. This is the problem when it's compulsory and the government can spend tax dollars on whatever it wants. If you go back and you read uh, Barry Goldwater's real short treaties uh, back in the 1980s, he was talking about how taxes were meant to just fund things that genuinely were part of a civil government that benefited everyone, like like fire and police and and um, transportation roadways, you know things like that. But not all of these these programs that the left want to provide, so that people are dependent on government and the government increases. And so that's just a completely 
totally different worldview. And we can see how that is so different in terms of human flourishing and capitalism and what Governor DeSantis has done in the state of Florida with uh, the legislation that says that there uh, cannot be a central bank digital currency that's protecting capitalism and the right of people to work in the state of Florida without being dependent on the government. Contrast that to California. I mean, these are things I hope that they get beyond just the policy specifics and talking about those differences and they get back to the root worldview level of what is within the realm of the civil government versus the church and the family and the individual and our right to pursue happiness and our right to keep our hard-earned dollars. That kind of worldview distinction, I don't think Governor Newsom can speak to. And I think Governor DeSantis can articulate very well. So I'm hopeful for that. We'll see. And tomorrow morning, we're going to break it all down after the fact with some really great guests. So tune in tomorrow morning right here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Don't forget to watch the debate tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern on Fox News. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.